everybody. We're starting a new sermon series today called Jonah. In high school, um, if I can remember back that far, uh, we probably all have memories of particularly difficult um, students that we interacted with. Uh, I had one in particular that was, I think, the best way and the most polite way to describe it was he was a troublemaker. A troublemaker. Um, he caused all sorts of grief, not only to myself, but to other students as well. Always picking on other students. I always felt intimidated around him. You know, uh, he was a, um, a large uh, boy or young man. Um, both physically and verbally, just felt intimidated uh, and found things really difficult. And, and look, when I finished high school, like most of us, we, we, we're glad when we finally finished high school. I was just glad to see the back of him. Just glad that I didn't have to interact with him anymore. Uh, he, was, he caused so much grief and trouble for me. And it was a number of years later that I found out that he gave his life to Christ. This, the, the troublemaker, the, 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 the one who caused so much grief for myself, he came to Christ. Now, imagine how I felt. Surely, he didn't deserve salvation. He, he was a bad person. Now, I'm sure we've all had those similar experiences. People who have treated us badly, people who have let us down, people who have caused us trauma. Um, what's wrong with that attitude? The reality is that we're, we're all bad in that regard. We've all fallen short. We all need grace. And the only reason we belong to Christ is because of His undeserved grace over all of our badness, over all that we've done wrong. And today, as I've said, we're starting this new series over the next five weeks, looking at the book of Jonah. Now, I just want to say thanks to Steve, Steve Hales for um, a number of the resources that's helped us sort of put this sermon series together. So um, if you've got any encouragement for me, give it to Steve as well. And we've titled this sermon series, God's Merciful Steadfast love god's merciful steadfast love we will see uh throughout the book of jonah that jonah made the same mistake that i made that or i made the same mistake that jonah made whichever way thinking that some people don't deserve god's grace and today we will we'll see god's outrageous patience his amazing forgiveness and incredible mercy through the book of Jonah. Now, today, we're just going to focus in on the first chapter. Now, I know you're sort of thinking, hang on, five weeks in Jonah, there's only four chapters, isn't there? Well, wait and see, wait and see. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at this first chapter. So in your Bibles, um, if you want to get out your Bibles, Jonah, we're going to start at chapter 1. And I'm just going to set the scene. So let's start at the very beginning. So looking at uh, Jonah chapter 1, and particularly now we're just going to look at chapter, uh, verses 1 and 2. And it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of 
Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now we see here in the very, very beginning that there's two main players in this story. There's Jonah and there's Nineveh. Now this book doesn't give much background, but if we look around at other parts of the Bible, we can get some information. In fact, the only real other information in the Old Testament about Jonah is in 2 Kings. We, we see some references in the New Testament comparing uh, Jonah, uh, the, the story of Jonah to the story of Jesus. But the only one in the Old Testament really is 2 Kings, where he's referred to as a prophet. And I'll read this in 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. We read this. He... King Jeroboam II was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord. The God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hepher. Now, it seems here that, and some of you would know that uh, the second King Jeroboam, he was a, he was a really bad king. Um, but he he was able to, at least during his reign, able to expand the boundaries of Israel because of Jonah's prophecies. I and mean, that's what we see here, that Jonah had a positive, a, a positive ministry uh, during that time in declaring uh, whatever it, that God had him to say. Now, this may have happened before or after the events in the book of Jonah, but regardless, we can see in 2 Kings, Jonah trusted God and God worked through him. That's Jonah. Now, let's have a look at the other main player or players in all of that. And that is the city of Nineveh. Now, uh, we can see pretty much straight away that Nineveh is a bad city. It's an evil city. Um, Probably one of the best places to look for a description of Nineveh is in the book of Nahum in the uh, Old Testament. And basically the whole book talks about judgment on Nineveh. Uh, Nineveh was an important city, or like the, almost the capital city in Assyria. Now, where's Assyria? Probably the best place to think about it. It's modern day Iraq, okay? That's where Assyria, Nineveh is. And Nineveh, or Syria, was an arch enemy of Israel. And in Nahum, uh, Nineveh represents everything that's bad, evil, arrogant, godless. I mean, if you've got any other adjectives. These were the people that Jonah prophesied about in 2 Kings. And these were eventually the people who wiped out Israel. Okay? So, so God tells Jonah to go and preach against this city now you would think wouldn't you that Jonah would be pleased to have an opportunity to to preach against this evil city but Jonah wasn't pleased why why because Jonah knew what God was like God shows mercy and these people might repent they might change. And Jonah didn't want that. Now, later on, and I don't want to undermine the rest of the message or the other sermons later on, but later on in Jonah chapter 4, Jonah chapter 4, 
verse 2, when God did work in Nineveh, and Jonah's having this conversation with with God and I've actually got so Jonah chapter 4 verse 2 and I'm actually using the message paraphrase or, or version of the Bible and this is what happens Jonah says God I knew it when I was back home I knew this was going to happen that's why I ran off to Tarshish I knew that you were sheer grace and mercy not easily angered rich in love and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. I knew you were going to do that and that's why I didn't want to. I didn't want these people. I wanted them to suffer. It's a bit like if God had asked me to preach to that high school boy way back in high school. I said, no. I don't want this person to receive the goodness. Jonah didn't like the fact that God would be merciful to a brutal, oppressive enemy nation. Now, do we feel like that? Do we think that there are just certain people outside of God's mercy? People whom we, we don't want to experience God's mercy, God's grace and love. So this is the attitude that Jonah has when God asks him to preach against the Ninevites. So how does Jonah respond? Well, this is my second point. The first point, setting the scene. Second point, Jonah makes a run for it. And we read this in verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, we don't exactly know where Tarshish uh, is located. Now, some speculate that it could be round about Spain or some sort of a Mediterranean seaport. But either way, it's west, west of Israel. Now, think about it. And I've got a little map here that I'll show you. There's a, there's a map here. And you can see uh, in the centre there is Joppa, which is around about modern-day Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv in, in Israel. So there's uh, Jonah there. God tells him to go east to Nineveh, modern-day Iraq, probably about eight or 900 kilometres away to the east. He heads which way? West. He heads in exactly the opposite direction. And not just eight or 900 kilometres to, to, to Spain or somewhere like that. That's probably two or 3,000 kilometres. Jonah is going as far away from God as he could possibly think. Or he thinks that he can get a long way away from God. So Jonah is not just complaining. He's actually making determined steps to disobey God. Now, does that, does that impress you? Well, well, no, it doesn't. I mean, remember, Jonah is called a prophet. He's, he's called a man of God. As a matter of fact, when he's on the boat and he's talking to the sailors in verse 9, chapter 1, verse 9, we read this and he makes this confession to the sailors on the boat. He says, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land now think about this if if it's not funny it's just hypocritical that Jonah is saying I'm worshiping God but at the, mo at the moment I'm running away from him 
he's can you see here his actions just don't line up with his words i worship the god but i i, I want to get as far away from him as possible in fact he's determined not to obey god so what happens on the boat let's have a look now i know most of you know this story so just just work with me here verse 4 the lord sent up a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own god and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship now this must have been some storm because experienced sailors probably phoenicians they're scared to death experienced weathered sailors scared they're going to drown and they're taking action to save themselves they're tightening everything up throwing heavy stuff overboard etc so in the midst of all of this all of this chaos the storm the sailors where's jonah second part of verse five but jonah had gone down below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep what's going on here once again it just seems irrational like he's hiding away hiding from the reality of the situation hiding hiding from god if you want to get away from everything why don't you just curl up into a little ball in the bottom of a ship and just go to sleep he could possibly also be exhausted by his anger and guilt but jonah's not helping here is he there's a lot going on so what happens next let's let's move down to verse 6 the captain of the ship went to him and said how can you sleep get up and call on your god maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish then the sailors said to each other come let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity they cast lots and the lot fell on jonah so they asked him tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us what kind of work do you do where do you come from what is your country from what people are you so many questions the spotlight here is directly on jonah they've worked out that jonah is the problem verse 10 this terrified them and they asked what have you done they knew he was running away from the lord because he had already told them so now god doesn't let up at this stage now think about it the storm is so violent the experienced sailors think they're going to drown verse 11 says the sea was getting rougher and rougher so they asked him what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us now at this point you would think well jonah realized he's found out he acknowledges that he's running from god so you'd think now he'd say okay take me back to shore i give in now wouldn't you think that that would be a reasonable response but what does he say verse 12 pick me up throw me into the sea he replied and it will become calm i know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you look at this he would rather hide from god by drowning than obediently go to the ninevites such is his attitude 
the ultimate escape from God. Let's jump overboard. So, how did that work out for Jonah? Verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Here's proof you can't run from God. You can't run from God. But here's other proof. God didn't give up on Jonah. God was faithful to Jonah, despite Jonah not being faithful to God. It's really the only example in the Bible where a prophet refuses to obey God. Now, what does it mean for us? We can't run from God. When God challenges us, we can't hide. He's over all things. We are ultimately answerable to Him. We can be quite persistent. He can use storms and lots and fish to bring us back. But you know, too often we don't see the bigger picture. We don't see that although bad things happen to us, situations occur that seem like God is punishing us or overwhelming us or anything we we fail to understand that in the bigger picture god is good and his plans for us are good his plans are to bring us to him if he is good that is good there's plenty of passages in the bible that declare this but i'm going to pick one of them psalm 19 verse 10 psalm 19 verse 10 and we read this they which is god's words are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Sometimes to enjoy the honey, we get stung by the bees. Remember, remember the honey. If you run away from the bees, you can miss the sweet honey. What about you? What are you running away from? We see this happen so often up here in the northern rivers. People run away from a lot of situations to come to the northern rivers. We've had so many people, so many year after year, week after week, people who camp out on the doors of of this church here in, in Lismore who are running away from something, from somewhere, running away from a situation, a relationship, a a dilemma or whatever, running from mercy to judgment, running from salvation to indifference. This story calls us to submit. Stop running. You can't run away from God. Now, the third point. So, first point, setting the scene. Second point, Jonah makes a run for it. Third point, It's the sailors who respond rightly to God. Now, what I want to do is I want to now look at these sailors and we're going to go back and look at these verses from verse 5 again, but looking at it from the perspective of the sailors. So let's go back to verse 5. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. Now, we can see there that they obviously aren't Israelites because they worship other gods. And as I said before, probably... Phoenician sailors. Yet at the moment of death, they are ready to notice Israel's God. 
verse 6. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Now, notice here, these sailors are more ready to cry out to Jonah's God than Jonah is. Think about it. God sent his prophet Jonah to point pagans to God, but here it's the pagans pointing the prophet Jonah to God. Do you want me to say it again? God sent his prophet Jonah to point pagans to God, but here it is that the pagans are pointing the prophet Jonah to God. Verse 10, this terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord. These sailors, these people who don't worship the God of Israel, have a healthy view or fear of God. They are desperate to please Jonah's God. Notice the irony here. Jonah didn't want to talk to pagans about God, so he runs away and ends up talking to pagans about God and leading them to consider faith in his God. The irony. Verse 13 and 14. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Notice their cry to God. And then in verse 16, At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. These non-Israelites making a vow to the God of Israel. Now, they obviously didn't understand God completely or worship him perfectly, but at least, at least they responded to him. Notice the contrast here. Sailors will do whatever it takes, even though they don't understand. Yet the prophet Jonah understands, but won't do anything. Jonah claims to fear God, but it's actually the sailors who demonstrate godly fear. It's the sailors who, in this situation, respond rightly to God. This this story is a powerful reminder that no one is more special than anyone else. We're all effectively bad people who need mercy. And and really, there's, there's no point running. I remember many, many years ago, probably nearly 30 years ago, I met a young man and his wife who were youth pastors at a church up on the Gold Coast. And I remember talking to this young man and he shared his testimony about how he came to faith. And he grew up in a, uh, in a Christian home, did all the Christian things, part of the youth group, part of the church, but there was a growing indifference and apathy towards the church to the point where he openly rebelled against the church and like a lot of young people at that time if you want to try to find yourself if you want to try to you know run away from God if you want to try to do things in your own strength what do you do I'm going to go on a backpacking tour through Europe and that's that's what he did he packed up his bags and headed off on his own to travel Europe and for for quite a period of time he traveled through Europe seeking to find himself until he finally got to 
England and he shares his story about how he's sitting down in Trafalgar Square in England. And I've, I've never been to Trafalgar Square, so I can't comment on what it's like, but he's saying he's sitting down there, people coming, going, there's people everywhere. And he sits down and he realises, hang on, I've been running and running and running. Here I am finally, I thought I've arrived, but these people are no different to the people back in Australia. These people are searching too. These people are running as well. I've got to stop running away. And it was at that moment he said, sitting down in Trafalgar Square, that he made the decision to go back home and stop running from God. And so he went back and obviously, uh, yeah, he's moved on from there, became a youth pastor and served faithfully in the church. Realised he had to stop running. How many people are like that? Just running, running, running. And the other part of this story is that there's no one who's more special than anybody else. Reminds me of that parable that Jesus told in Luke 18. You know that parable in Luke 18? The Pharisee and the tax collector. You know, you've got the Pharisee who stands up in, in, in the synagogue and says, you know, I thank you that I'm not like the tax collector. And yet the tax collector wouldn't even look up. He says, God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. And Jesus is saying, which one of these is justified? Of course, it's, it's the tax collector. Our best posture is recognising who we are before God and our absolute dependence upon his grace. It's got, it's got nothing to do with what we can bring to the table. It's what Christ has done for us and and we see this in 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 fullness rather than what jonah did in parts because we see it through the lens of jesus christ jesus christ through his mercy and grace the mercy of ensuring that we don't have to endure what what we're we're dependent upon what our our punishment should be to the grace of giving us a gift of what we don't deserve. So mercy, we don't get what we do deserve. Grace, we do get what we don't deserve. And Christ did that. And as we look at this story of, of Jonah, and we'll be looking over the next few weeks about God's incredible, outrageous mercy and his steadfast love. God's merciful, steadfast love. And so that brings us to a point this morning where we're going to share in communion. And communion to us, as we look at this cup and this piece of bread, which represents the body and blood of Christ, which was broken, his body, his blood shed on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice of grace that will enable us 
to be in a right relationship with him. And as we take these elements, I encourage you to consider, are you running from God? It's time to stop running. Christ has paid the way. You're not better than anybody else. You're not less than anybody else. We're all equal before God. We're all sinners in search of a saviour. And here we are with the bread and the cup. Sharing in remembrance of what our saviour has done for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this outrageous gift. Gift of grace and mercy. That which Christ has done for us. And as we take and eat this together, we pray that you will guide us and lead us. We know that we cannot run from you. We pray that you would lead us and guide us and that we would be in step with you. There's no point running. May we be reminded again afresh that it's what you've done through your son on the cross that enables us to have a right relationship, even though we don't deserve your grace. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.